Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing today? Good. Another Saturday morning. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to be here, Bill. And, uh, you know, it's... <laughs> well, I, it's I, fall's here, that's for sure. Well, I know it's fall when, you're, when your sweater collection comes out, and you, uh, you've you got maybe the best sweater collection in the state of North Carolina. Uh, well, I, I, I do get uh, accused of being a, a second to Mr. Rogers, uh, <laughs> but I love my sweaters, and it's they're comfortable, and, and you know, it... Um, I think it it helps to make my clients more comfortable as well. So it's a good thing. Well, Bill, you uh, you wear many hats. Bill, you're you know uh, North Carolina Elder Law Attorney of the Year, and uh, so many awards and accolades. But uh, one of my favorite hats that you wear is the role of MythBuster, Bill. You, <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, how to like how to, Ghostbusters. Uh, that's right. You know how uh, to uh, shed the truth on uh, a lot of misconceptions and. We're going to focus on one major myth today, and that's the myth that, hey, I need to give all my property uh, to my children before I die to protect it in case there's some sort of long-term care situation. Well, you know, that is an important myth. I see folks doing that all the time. Uh, It is almost always a mistake of large proportion. Uh, and the the questions involved actually have a number of different tentacles that I think are important to discuss. So I, I want folks to hear it. You know, it's uh, so. Ha- how do we really talk about this myth? In, in other words, it's I need to give my property, and it's away, and, and that is ne- almost always I need to give it to my children. And I need to give it to them to protect my property, you know, to protect it. And, and the, the balance of it is so that I can get government assistance so that the government will take care of me and my long-term care needs. I mean, it is a recognition that very few people can actually afford to pay for long-term care. And so, uh, you know, because long-term care typically for most folks starts at the low end, twenty-five dollars to $3,500, and can go up to over $10,000 a month very, very easily. And I would say the greatest number of folks who need care are, are spending somewhere in the neighborhood of forty-five dollars to $6,500 a month. That's assuming that they do not need um, nursing facility care. In other words, this is, I mean, most folks are at that little bit lower level than nursing care where they need a lot of assistance or some assistance. And that, ex- that assistance is much more expensive than what folks uh, can actually pay for very long. Most folks are out of money within a period of, of months. Uh, and so it's like, how do we get government assistance? Well, you know, there's a false assumption in there, and that is that if we don't have any assets, that, you know, there's a, there's a program that will pay for this care. And the fact is that for most folks, that is totally false. People need to under – this is one of the reasons people need to – uh, come to our webinars and seminars to learn. I mean, one of the most important things is 
to learn when you can and when and how you can actually get assistance. But it's also extremely important for folks to understand when they cannot get assistance. And it's not that difficult, but folks, this is where people need to get professional advice, not, not, not advice from their neighbor or their uncle or whatever. This is, the, this is where you need to know the facts. Okay, so uh, the, the first piece in terms of busting this myth is if you actually transfer your property, whether it's your home or your farm or money to your children, is it actually... Uh, in a better place. Well, as folks know, I do a lot of asset protection planning. And the fact is that most seniors live a much less risky lifestyle than their children. <laughs> you know, it's far more likely that their children will be in a bad automobile accident or end up in a divorce or have a creditor after them because of not paying their bills properly or whatever, it's far more likely that the children will have issues such as those than the parents because the parents aren't driving very much. They, they basically are not having to drive to work every day. <laughs> They're in their vehicles. You know, They may drive to church on Sunday or whatever, but the bottom line is that they're not leading risky lives. So in terms of risk analysis, the property's far better off in the hands of the parents than of the children. Now, what are some of the other issues that involved transferring it to your children? Well, the fact is, if you transfer your property to your children, you know, not all children are perfect. <laughs> not all children won't spend it or do something else with it that would disappoint us as parents. Uh, you know, and it may be because they get sued. It may be that because they have debts that need to be paid. Uh, it may not matter if they have siblings, if they have control over the money that you've given them. Uh, you know, they may just use it for their own welfare rather than yours. So, when you give it away, you lose control of your money or your property, uh, and that may come back to haunt you. It, it's not a good thing. <laughs> okay. So, all right. So the, the first piece is I need to give my property away to protect it. Well, the fact is when you give your property away, you're actually putting your property at risk and you're losing control of your property. Uh, that is a bad thing uh, for anyone. Now, so the now there is another piece, there's two other pieces of this, and that is number one, if I give it away, will the government actually have a program to take care of me uh, or not. Okay, so this is where you have to understand that, that most of the needs-based programs for long-term care have more than one rule, okay? 
And so, yes, there is an asset test, and yes, by, in essence, giving your property away, you might meet the asset test. Of course, there's also a look-back period, and you don't know when you might need care. You just know that you're giving it away in advance. But if you have given it away within the look-back period where you need assistance, you've just created a huge penalty for yourself. And that's true whether you need help for a nursing home, need help for assisted living, or need help at home. Any any one of the programs there. And this is also true for veterans' benefits as well as for Medicaid or for special assistance. Every one of those programs have a look-back period that penalizes you for having transferred your property to anybody, whether it's your children uh, or not, um, if you if you transfer it to them within that look-back period. So that's another negative because none of us know when bad things are going to happen to us. We don't know when we're going to die, and we don't know when we're going to have a stroke, and we don't know... We might know we're at risk, but we don't know what the Lord has its plan for us. And so, again, transferring that property has risks. Now, here's the bad news for most of us who have just a little bit of income are not going to be eligible, even if, even if we have no property at all, even if we haven't given away a nickel in our lifetime. Our income, just our income alone, and of course, uh, seniors who are on Social Security have income, and that's assuming they have no other income. You know, they don't have a pension. They don't have rental income. They don't have investment income. They just have Social Security. Well, the truth is, is that most folks have a Social Security check that denies them eligibility for home care or assisted living care. In other words, if all you need, you want to stay at home, there's no program to help you. You need a little more help than what you, then you can't stay at home anymore. You need assisted living. There's no program to help you. And this is true. And you've given everything away so you don't control your money anymore. Who's going to support it? Who's going to pay your bills? Well, you got to privately pay if there's not a program that comes into play. So, you know. Obviously, that's a problem. Now, I realize we need to take a break, and I'm going to come back because there are more tentacles. You can create a huge tax problem for your children and yourself by having given away your property. And it's not the tax problem that you're thinking of. So I want to come back to that. There's a lot of ramifications to this if you don't do it right. And uh, there's a reason why this is a popular myth, because there's a lot of misinformation out there. That's why it's so important to sign up for Bill's webinars. Go to WGALaw.com. Click on the Seminars button. We typically would have these in person, but as we are practicing social distancing, these are currently in the form of webinars. All you need is a computer with Internet access and an email address, and you can learn all about uh, the ways that you can handle a long-term care crisis. Bill goes over Medicare. 
Medicaid, VA benefits. He also has a webinar dealing with asset protection and trust planning. Go to WGALaw.com. Click on the seminars button. It's free to register, free to attend, no cost to you. This is information that you really just can't find anywhere else. And you can educate yourself when it comes to a lot of these popular myths and the misinformation that is out there. WGALaw.com or call 919-256-7000. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can find more about him online at WGALaw.com. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we're talking all about this popular myth that, you know, if I give away all my property to my children or whomever, that uh, the government's going to take care of me after that. And uh, just before the break, you were mentioning, you know, there's so many tentacles to this, but there's also tax implications. Absolutely. So here here we are. You're, you're, you are a stubborn person who knows how you want to do things, and you're not listening to your CPA, you're not listening to your attorney. And somebody's told you that you need to give your farm away or give your home away to protect it. And so uh, you've decided to transfer your house to your children. And now it's in your children's name. So, and now here's the thing most people think they've created a gift tax problem. In other words, I've, I've given the farm away. The farm's worth a million bucks or whatever. I've given the house away. It's worth several hundred thousand dollars. I've heard about this gift tax thing, and so uh, I must owe gift tax. Well, let's talk about gift tax first. And this is not the problem. I want to get that right out in front. Why is it not a problem? Well, first of all, uh, it, it, when, it, when it's come to gifting, it is the giver who has to file the tax return, not the receiver of the gift. You know, for the receiver of the gift, it's ali ali free, no problem, okay? But the giver of property is the one who must file a federal gift tax return. It's not a state tax return. It's a federal return. Um, and people should know that to receive a gift is not income, so it's not a taxable event for the folks who receive the gift. But for those who have given the gift, it's still not a big problem. Why? Well, first of all, people do know that there is uh, an exemption for giving away up to $15,000 per person. So, you know, if if you have three children, you can give each one of them $15,000, $45,000. Not that I do that. I mean, I can't afford to do that. Most of us can't. But the f- fact is we can give that much each year to as many people as we know or want to make that kind of gift to. Uh, and we do not have to file a gift tax return unless we exceed that $15,000 mark for any one individual. Now, with that said, we still don't have a gift tax problem because each one of us today, now in five years it's going to drop, but right now it's $11.4 plus million. Well, 
guess what? Most of us could give everything we own away 10 times <laughs> and never have to pay a penny of gift tax, okay? So uh, the bottom line is uh, that gift, ta- even if we have to file a gift tax return, if we use part of our exemption, then we don't have to pay any tax whatsoever. So gift tax is not the problem. The problem is we've, it, we've given our property away, so now we might have long-term care issues, our properties in our children's name. We have created an income tax problem either for ourselves or for our children or both. Now, why is that? Well, it's called capital gains tax. Now, capital gains is not due until you sell the house or sell the farm or sell any appreciated property. But when you make an absolute gift of your property to, just say, your children, so you've, you've moved the house to your children, quote, to protect it, of course. And Now, when you make that kind of gift, you're giving something away at the same time that you may not be thinking about. You're giving away your tax basis in the property. Now, what does that mean? That basically means how much did you pay for the property? Because we're generally talking about appreciated assets. In other words, you bought your house 30 years ago. It's now paid for and 30 years ago, you paid $50,000 for the house. Well, $50,000 is your tax basis, your income tax basis. So now, 30 years later, the house is worth $350,000. Well, it's appreciated $300,000. So with normal tax planning, in other words, normal situation, if this were not your primary residence, you would have a $300,000 gain when it's sold and capital gains tax would be due. Now, if this was your primary residence, in other words, you only have one home and you give it away, then you have some other exemptions. It's called a 121 exemption. And if you're married, that exemption for your primary residence is 500000 If you're single, it's 250000 okay? So again, it, whether it's your primary residence or not, if you still own it and you have to move to assisted living and you need the money to pay the bill because you don't have enough savings and you, you don't, you're not living in your home anymore, so you decide to sell it, because you found out after you moved to assisted living that your Social Security check was too high and so no government assistance was available and you had to privately pay for your care. And the only way you could do it was what? Sell your house, right? Okay, if you still own it and you sell your house, it's highly unlikely you'll have to pay any tax at all because of the exemption, okay, for, from the sale of the house, uh, of your primary residence. Now, if uh, this was rental property, then you'd have to pay capital gains. Now, but here's the thing. If you've given the property to your children, 
It's not your children's primary residence. So guess what? There is no exemption there. If they have to sell the house to provide funds to for you to privately pay for that assisted living that you need, guess what? They have to pay capital gains tax. And, of course, capital gains tax is not as bad as ordinary income tax, depending on the tax rate of the, of the children. But for most people, the t- income tax rate is going to be 20% federal tax. It could be 15%. But for most folks, it's going to be 20%. And then you have state income tax on top of that. So if you figure just in round numbers that your tax liability on your tax gain is 25% federal and state tax, well, we just talked about what? A $300,000 gain. So guess what that gift has cost you? 25% of $300,000 is $75,000. Well, That's $75,000 that you would not have had to pay if you hadn't made the gift. So not a good result. Now, let's say you've got the money, but you've made the gift, and then you died. You, You basically never had to sell the house, but you did give the house away to your kids before you needed assistance. Okay. Now, guess what? You gave the house before you died. So there's not, you, your children do not receive what's called a step up in income tax basis at your death. So when they sell the house, they still, at your death, they still have that $75,000 tax liability of capital gains to pay. So again, you've cost your children $75,000. Now, if you had still owned the house at your death, your children would have enjoyed what is called a step-up in basis or a step-up in income tax basis. And what that basically means is the children's new basis in the property is the fair market value of the house at your death. Now, there's also an alternative valuation date that's six months later, but that, you know, the concept is step up to the fair market value. So now the house is worth 350. So their new basis is 350. They sell it. Now after your death, no income tax whatsoever. So duh, you know, <clears throat> again, making the gift has caused significant taxes that your family would never have had to pay. So again, you've created more risk. You've lost control of your money, and, uh, and even if you have good kids, you may have created a huge income tax liability because either you need the money during your lifetime to pay for care or because when you die, the children do not get that step up in basis, and when the, when the home is sold, they have to pay that capital gains tax. So The bottom line is this is a horrible myth that people unfortunately utilize. They think they're doing good things by doing it, and they've just screwed themselves. So take note. That's the worst part is that it's uh, it's a well-intended mistake, but even in that regard that uh, a small or maybe innocent mistake like that can cost you 
big time in the example that Bill gave us. That's why it's so important to attend one of Bill's seminars. It's free to attend. Go to WGALaw.com there. Click on the seminars button. It's free to register, free to attend, and you'll learn about uh, how you can qualify for assistance in a long-term care situation. You can learn things that you can do in advance so that you don't fall under this myth that you uh, need to give all your property away to try and qualify. Bill will teach you the right way. He'll show you how things work. He'll shine the light on all the misinformation that's out there. Go to WGALaw.com and click on that seminars button, or you can call 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Find more about him online at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we're going to get to uh, one asset protection topic here in just a bit, but you've got a final thought that you'd like to share with us when it comes to this myth that you need to give all your property away to your children to, uh, in order to be qualified for long-term care assistance. Well, m- this myth, the, m- the mistake that people make, it, typically this is where folks are trying to do things that to better themselves, better their families. You know, they don't intentionally make this mistake, but they think they know enough to do it without professional advice. And that's where they get in trouble. Uh, Frankly, there are, I mean, all of us are unique. Sometimes there are advantages to creating a trust or making gifts uh, in a way that works for our family as opposed to creates problems for our families. And there are ways to use trusts, irrevocable trusts and revocable trusts, that can can retain these exemptions, retain the step-up in basis, um, uh, create asset protection uh, for the family. Uh, in ways that are helpful, and and there are ways outside of trust that you can do the same thing. But people need good professional advice. But if you just think without professional advice, you know what you're doing. You go to your local real estate uh, attorney and say, I, I want to transfer my farm or my house to my children. Will you do me a deed? Well, most local attorneys will be happy to do a deed, and you won't get that income tax advice. You won't get the asset protection advice. You won't get the long-term care advice, and and more often than not, because you have not gotten good professional advice, you're going to make some bad mistakes for your family. So anyway. Schedule an appointment to see Bill. Don't let that happen to you. Go to WGALaw.com or call 919 919- Two five six seven thousand nine one nine two five six seven thousand. Bill, let's get to some asset protection. Um, I think everyone who owns a car needs to pay attention. That's probably just about everyone listening. So, uh, Bill, I'll give you the floor. Well, okay. So you're acquiring a vehicle uh, to new to you, whether it's a brand new vehicle or used one. Um, you're acquiring a vehicle, so uh, and you've got the money. So the question is. How do I actually uh, – what's the best way to put the title? In other words, 
and, and that varies. Let, uh, let's assume that we are married, and so often the most frequent mistake that married couples make is that they put their vehicles in both names, uh, husband and wife, together as co-owners. And in North Carolina, now you have to understand this rule can vary from state to state as to what's in your best interest. But in North Carolina, that is clearly a mistake. Now, I would say, uh, since we're talking about how to title your vehicle, uh, and I'm going to explain why it's a mistake in just a second. But if you insist, if you and your wife say, nope, we, we, we're going to co-own this vehicle, we're both going to drive it, uh, we don't care what's in our best interest, we're just going to do it, then I would tell you that in North Carolina you have the ability to check the box to make it joint with right of survivorship. And of course, obviously, um, you know that does not affect your ability to sell the car because both of you have to sign the title anyway. If you're on the title, so if you sell the car in the future, no big deal. But if one dies, that joint with rider survivorship makes it so much easier on the survivor to get a new title in their own name, without going to court and without any further problem. So if you insist on owning it together, do it with joint with right of survivorship. And of course, you don't have to be a spouse. I mean, it, it's kind of thing where you could own a vehicle with your child or grandchild. Same thing applies. It makes it so much easier uh, for the survivor to get a new title. But in North Carolina, the best way to own a vehicle is to own it so that the principal driver of the vehicle is the sole owner of the vehicle. And if you're married, that that's really important because in North Carolina, uh, based and this is based on case law, you know, court of appeals decision many years ago. If if you own a vehicle, so we're talking co-ownership then under North Carolina law, uh, you control the driving of the vehicle. Uh, now, uh, all of us uh, have suffered from our spouse telling us how to drive. <laughs> okay. Uh, and this is true whether we're good drivers or bad drivers, but uh, it's just something that comes with marriage. Okay. So, <laughs> so the here's the thing, and in North Carolina, that actually is the rule. Our, our, you know, the co-owner of the vehicle actually is controlling our driving. Why is that important? Well, it's like this: um, whether we own the vehicle by ourselves or with our spouse, it's going to be insured under the same insurance policy. In other words, let's say we have a vehicle. One's in my name. One's in my spouse's name that the same insurance policy is going to cover both vehicles. And that's true whether we co-own it or whether we own it individually. In other words, we get, to, we get a multi-car discount. Okay, that's a good thing. All right, now, now if, if I co-own the vehicle and I'm negligent and I run into another vehicle or I run into a tree and my spouse is in the vehicle and my spouse is injured due to my own negligence if my spouse co's co-owns the vehicle my there is no recovery 
for my negligence under our insurance policy. Different result if we each own our vehicles separately. So I own the car individually. My wife is not controlling my driving. Well, she thinks she is anyway, but that's a different thing. All right, so under law, I'm controlling my driving. I'm negligent. I run into the tree. She's seriously injured. Well, under North Carolina law, if she doesn't co-own my vehicle, she can actually sue me and recover against our insurance policy for my negligence, in other words, on the liability provision. So the ownership gives us much greater protection if we don't co-own, if the principal driver is the owner of the vehicle. Now, there's another asset protection rule as well, and that's this. Okay, if we co-own the vehicle, and again, I'm negligent. I run into John Smith uh, and and, um, injure uh, John Smith, different driver. Guess what? The personal injury lawyers are not only going to sue the driver for negligence, but they will also sue the owners of the vehicle. Whether my spouse was in the vehicle or not, as an owner, they're going to sue everybody that's related to that collision, no matter what. So guess what? If they can get a judgment against both of us together— then more of our property is at risk if they get a judgment that is greater than our uh, protection under our insurance policy, the liability provision of our policy, okay? So that's another reason for that. Now, what about the insurance? Well, I always tell folks, buy as much liability protection as you can afford. Um, and there's a couple reasons for it. Number one, it, you know, cars are much more valuable. Injuries uh, are, uh, you know, there's a much greater liability with that kind of thing that's going on. And so having a 500-500, that's $500,000 of protection. And then you can add umbrella policy on top of that that's very inexpensive. And I would say $2 million is the right amount. Uh, $1 million is sort of the minimum umbrella policy. But the 500 and okay, if you can only afford 300000 then that's fine. But what and then you can add umbrella to that. But what that three hundred thousand or the five hundred thousand dollar does for you is it also protects you not only um, from your own negligence be- being sued, but it also protects you when other folks run into you negligently and you or your spouse are injured in a motor vehicle collision. So, because that's what's called underinsured and uninsured motorist coverage, and it can only cover you up to the amount of your own liability protection. So if you have $500,000 of liability for yourself, you've, you should also have $500,000 for uninsured or underinsured motorists. Why is that important? Well, you know that 10% of the drivers out there have no insurance coverage at all, and there's another at least 10% who have minimum coverage. So if they run into you, you're screwed if less you have really good underinsured and uninsured motorist coverage. And who's the most likely folks to run into you and be negligent? It's those young people and those other folks who have very little insurance or no insurance at all. They're the ones who are going to cause you damage. (laughs) So you have to protect yourself. 
It's very important. And, you know, Bill, that's something that I, I think a lot of us wouldn't think about. We think, well, you know, it's, uh, I want this to go to my spouse if I pass away. So uh, we're going to go ahead and put both of our names on the title. But you've shown us why uh, you may really want to reconsider that next time you purchase a vehicle. We're going to stick with this topic. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I am Jason Kong. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget, you can always find more about Bill online at WGALaw.com. That's where you can find out all the services that Bill provides. You can schedule an appointment to speak with him, or you can register for October's seminars, all online at WGALaw.com. Bill, we're talking about asset protection and how you should own your automobile, and also insurance, how we should handle our insurance when it comes to our cars. Absolutely. Well, there's another piece of your insurance policy uh, that uh, oftentimes when I review it, I find that um, people have made what I call a mistake. And it's because, in my opinion, it's because the insurance agents don't realize uh, what, uh, what they're leaving out of your policy. And I'm talking about in on your insurance policy, and if you have your insurance policy in front of you, look at it because it'll tell you what your uh, your coverages are. And there's a coverage in there called Med Pay or medical payments, and it's an area where a lot of uh, insurance people will be trying to save you ten or fifteen dollars, and so they will limit your med pay coverage. They really don't know what it is, I think, at times. But um, frankly, I would tell you for very little dollars, max out your med pay. And in North Carolina, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the max is fifty thousand dollars of coverage. Now, why is that important to you? Well, med pay, it, it, it is what it sounds like. It pays you uh, for uh, medical coverage, okay? Now, you might say, well, I've got medical insurance or I've got Medicare. But the fact is, is that there's so much that your medical insurance does not pay for. And your med pay pays if there's if you are injured or anybody else is injured due in your in your automobile or your motor vehicle, then MedPay will automatically cover. All you have to do is submit your medical bills, and they will reimburse you for that up to the maximum of of your. Well, it, it's like this: if you go to the to the emergency room, you're going to have a big bill. Okay. If you now, it also is going to cover any other kind of medical assistance due to that accident. So, if you've gone, if you're going to the chiropractor or, or any other medical provider of any kind, you know that's included in terms of what med pay will pay for, where your health insurance may not cover that at all. Uh, so, med pay is much broader in scope than your health insurance is now. The other thing that's important is it almost acts like uh, AFLAC, if you will, because it, it covers you no matter whether you have health insurance or not, okay? So in essence, if your health insurance is covering it, 
then MedPay will pay you again. And if it pays you again, then that's going to cover for a lot of those other expenses that are not actually medical expenses because you've, you've already covered it with other insurance and then it pays again. And there's no excluded exclusion just because it's paid again. Now, here's another issue. Seniors, those folks who are on Medicare, um, uh, have another issue because Medicare, unlike your health insurance before you're on Medicare, requires to be paid back 100%. So what it boils down to is, and I've seen lots of seniors who were injured, where uh, seriously injured, where Medicare paid the lion's share of the bill and when there was a, a personal injury settlement, Medicare ended up with all of the money because it's called a Medicare lien, a Medicare payback. And there's no adjustments for it. There's no settlements for it. They don't compromise. They basically just expect to be paid back 100%. And Medicare doesn't give a nickel whether or not you get compensated for your injuries or not. The law says they get paid back first. So sometimes your med pay might be the only compensation that you get uh, because Medicare is taking it back. It's, it, it is one part of the Medicare system that is so unfair because your your other otherwise health insurance doesn't get a payback like that and you get you get good compensation yourself whereas if you're a senior often to, if you're in an accident this is one of those areas where you know the government just um, because of the way it's set up you get screwed <laughs> <laughs> It's great advice, Bill, and something that we've got to factor in. And, uh, you know, again, when uh, it's time to sign up for Medicare, that's one probably one of the last things that we think about. But it's certainly something that you want to keep in the back of your mind. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. We'll be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Don't forget to go to WGALaw.com. That's where you can register for October's seminars and webinars. It's under the Seminars button. It's free to register. Bill covers the issues of long-term care assistance. We cover Medicaid and also veterans' benefits. And there's an additional seminar that covers asset protection and trust planning. These are currently in the form of webinars. All you need is a computer with internet access and an email address, and you can attend for free. WGALaw.com. Click on the seminars button at WGALaw.com. You can also schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, and you can check out Bill's podcast as well, the Asset Protection Today podcast. And if you want to call Bill, the phone number is 919-256-7000, Two five six seven thousand. We got to get out of here. On behalf of Bill Alexander, I'm Jason Kong. Thanking you for listening to Asset Protection today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a great weekend. <laughs>